Welcome. You're on Deep Background podcast from the Kansas City Stars newsroom. Um, I'm joined today. This is Scott Cannon. I'm a reporter. I'm joined today by Katie Bergen, a news reporter. Good to have you. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. And Leah Becerra, a digital wizard who creates videos and all sorts of other things for it makes our me website. sound so magical i know yeah. <laughs> i feel like my title is so much boring so boring in comparison uh we're gonna have a, a discussion about technology and art today and uh my premise that uh, these two probably will challenge and there's a big generational gap between me and them the two of them their ages combined probably don't equal mine <laughs> so i may be reacting to what i see on in books and in movies and on tv differently than they do but the idea that technology and uh, to a great degree, our fear of technology or our hope for technology is um, projected in the art that we consume and in our culture. Um, so we're going to talk about things like Black Mirror, the, is it BBC? I know it's British. I thought it was Netflix original. Okay. Yeah. I think that's just because they bought it and then they Probably. can call it that. Um, which is, for those who haven't seen it, go see it. Um, it's sort of near future, slightly dystopian, kind of a twilight zone for the 21st century. Most of the stuff looks at, at how technology might change our lives. Um, shows like Mr. Ro Robot, uh, we'll talk about books. You know, the history of this kind of thing where art projects anxiety about changes in society goes back forever. You know, it, certainly 1984, Brave New World, um, in a different 451. I remember when they have like the walls that have movies on them and they've replaced the books. No one remembers the books anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I it's guess. interesting that Katie remembers this book by the movie. So we've oriented no, no, ourselves no, no, no. a little the, bit. In the book, they, the characters like watch films on their walls, right? I'm not crazy. Yeah. They have like, you know, they, they go to the, they go to the jungle and the jungle's projected on their wall and, and, no one, you know, no one reads books. Yeah, I haven't, I haven't read that in a long time. But the thing that stuck out to me about it was the burning of the books, and there was like this one group of people, oops, this one group of people that was trying to stop to save the books to actually catalog them, like in a library. <laughs> What's right, that? and when, and you could look at that in some sense in the ways in which people are trying to catalog what's on the internet mm -hmm. before it gets destroyed. There's a big fight going on now, for instance, over preserving the president's tweets so that if, and, the, you know, the uh, I think it's the National Archives is insisting that all his tweets be cataloged, um, even those that are deleted, and I think the White House is pushing back on that a little bit. So it's sort of, we've, that's a pretty long, that's a gap of uh, 50 years or so, might have, or more, that, that that was prophetic about. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we had Michael Crichton's Andromeda Strain, which... Good book. Right, and it came out in a time when we were very concerned about biological weapons mm -hmm. and what what might happen with them. Um, but let's let's hold off on Black Mirror for a second, Mister Robot. Huh. Um, I think is it FX. I've watched it basic on cable. I know Amazon um, big streaming. Okay, Amazon streaming services. <laughs> so I've only know. actually seen through the second season. Anything after that point, I'm I'm out. Don't okay. tell me. Um, well, spoiler alert, the second season is not very good. Yeah. <laughs> um, the, first, the first season was excellent, and I, I read a number of places where, and, and it, it, for those who aren't familiar with that, it sort of glorifies um, it's, it, Mr. Robot and F Society. Mm-hmm. 
are a group of hackers that are something like, <clears throat> something like anonymous. Um, this band of um, people who want to stick it to the man with a keyboard. Um, and, you know, we, we used to, we went through a lot of movies like The Net back in the day where people would mock how phony the on-screen depiction of computer work was because you, someone would, would hit three strokes and break into the, the Pentagon. Smart hacker types say that Mr. Robot's actually pretty accurate, um, it, it, at least in its, the particular um, methods that they use. Yeah, and the, in the fact that it usually takes more than one individual and it usually takes you know, multiple hours. It's not something that you snap your fingers or you can casually pluck keys with one finger and have it happen. Um, it's a really good show. I got a little confused, though, because I wasn't sure what was real at a certain point. Well, it's, yeah, there's a lot of mystery, uh, a fight club going on. Where yeah. the, the, the central character um, is probably schizophrenic or has some sort of psychosis, so we don't know who is whom, but the the, the larger theme there is that the world has become very reliant on the internet yes. for business and everything, and that what happens if you tear that to pieces and the sort of chaos that can ensue. Mm -hmm. um, Sam Esmail, is that how you pronounce it? He's the guy behind it, um, and we hope he does better in his third season. But he's hit on, I mean, again, to my point, that there's a lot, there's some anxiety out there in the zeitgeist about what it means to live in an internet world. Um, I mean, do you guys, I, I, I grew up, when I was 30, I think I learned the word internet, and it took a while to absorb what that meant. <laughs> you guys, we, are, we, are, we are old enough to remember a time without the internet, though. Yeah. We're on a weird cusp, because when we were young children, the internet didn't exist or was starting to exist? It was starting to exist um, when we were very young. I mean, my first computer that I remember having was one of the um, Apple all-in-one computers where you had a green or black screen yes. and you were putting in like essentially floppy boot disks yeah. or floppy yeah, disks. Yeah. My well, dad I, if, had that. if we want to talk tales about antiquated <laughs> technology, I'll have you beat. We're probably the worst ones to tell But the point I was making is the, the, as the internet came on and we started buying stuff on the internet. Yeah. I I had a level of comfort with that pretty quickly. My parents' generation, it, it was very hard for them. My mother-in-law still to this day won't, you know, buy anything with her credit card online. I, I suspect you folks probably don't have that anxiety, yeah. and 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 look at folks who do as as out of step. I would say that we do probably have a little bit of anxiety, but we have a um, a level of anxiety that is with it comes with an understanding. So I'm not going to plug my credit card into a sketchy looking website. That's just not something that I will probably ever do. But I have certain things in place, like I use PayPal as a third party system to help like buffer me against any issues along those lines. Um, so my mom, for instance, she's actually been pretty good about adopting, buying things online, being somebody who's using the internet, but it's not, she's not really savvy all the time. I am so proud of her every single time she calls me. And she's like, Leah, I think somebody tried to scam me, and I didn't fall for it. I was like, good <laughs> job, mom. <laughs> like, we, we, um, we're comfortable with the internet, and we can identify pretty clearly 
what's a red flag and what's probably safe and okay. That being said, a lot of people in our generation have been hacked. We have had our passwords taken. We need to get better about it. Um, but we do have a slightly more secure, better understanding, so that helps us out. Yeah, what Mr. Robot goes to, though, is not your mom falling for some scam, but the whole system crashing down because yeah. somebody breaks into the computers at IBM or Google or Microsoft. Yeah, and he takes we're down all a, screwed. He takes down a banking system. Right, right. Zeroes out bank accounts. So, yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah. <laughs> Um, let's switch to Black Mirror. Its focus is a little bit different. It's, it's, it's a little bit more on the social interaction that comes with the Internet. I, the, you all may remember the title, but I think it's in the latest season. And there's a woman, and, and in this, the world they portray, which is a near future, we all have a rating of some kind. We basically yelp for everything about you. And if you have a bad interaction with an Uber driver or a cashier or something, it'll go down. If you're nice, it'll go up. And she has a bad day. Her whatever rating they call it goes in the toilet, and her life spins out of control. That resonated with me in the sense that we're all. I was really little... hoping you would bring up this episode. It's called um, it's called Nosedive, and it's funny because so in that episode. People have their smartphones and they have like a Facebook-esque app where within the app, people are rating other people. So there was actually an app that was created probably like two years ago called People. And you can still download it, but nobody's using it. They just leave really bad reviews for it where you could literally do this. You could rate other people like that you would know. Um, Isn't that how Facebook started, though? Kind of. With Mark Zuckerberg in a, in a dorm room rating people. That's right, and a little bit. And Friendster was a little bit like that. You know, clout, clout spelled with a K, mm-hmm. is like that. I signed up for it a while ago and then have been sort of allergic to it ever since because it tells you basically how influential you are. I think Based on l- your social media accounts. Right. And who, who's, who retweets you, who follows you, who you're friends with. I looked up my score yesterday, and it's a 49, which I think is probably pretty – tells you that I carry no clout <laughs> in this world. Um, but it's that, that idea that, that we could be – that our, our social value can be quantified is sort of a horrifying thing, right? Yeah. I well, don't like that idea. It would be like if your clout <laughs> score was – if you lived in a world where your clout scored – not only determined how much you got paid or what your job was, but whether you could get into that restaurant or whether you could fly first class or, you know, what events you could get invited to. Right, which doesn't feel really nutty, right? It's, no, it doesn't. We're, we're <laughs> it pretty close. I mean, in, in our professional lives, right? In that's, our professional that's, lives, that kind that's of happened very quickly. You know, and like in our business, we know how many clicks are get our stories are getting. We know how much time people are spending on them. And in industries across the board, things that couldn't be quantified before about our performance are, are now, you know, I've, I've read a paper that suggested that it's possible to, to do this sort of socially, that if we all carry our, our cell phones around and we're at a cocktail party, that you could begin to register who's most popular because they're in proximity to large groups of people and to other popular people. Um, uh, what, you know, there's a book that I uh, called Super Sad, True Love Story, and Gary Steingart is the author. 
And in that, that that's very much the case. And he's he's kind of a loser, and he's dating a girl out of his league. And much of the drama is driven by what their social score is. Um, but do you see that even in Twitter today, that there's some sense that I, see, I think about Twitter, I think, is that I think Twitter is very important to the people who are on it, who tend to be sports figures and politicians and journalists. And I think the difference is that the average person um, probably isn't assigning a ton of value the way that people who love to use Twitter. And, and it lends itself so naturally to what we do. But I don't think the rest of the world is as invested in Twitter as and reading Twitter and assigning a lot of um, yeah, well, value to people. I think they like the information, um, right. but I'm not quite sure that they are um, looking at it from a social status point as much right. as maybe we are. Like in terms of, oh, that journalist has so many more followers than I do. Well, in media dorks like us forget to, that most people aren't on Twitter. Right. Exactly. It's it's it really is a professional tool, and if you're not in a world that you need to keep track of things on kind of a minute-by-minute minute basis, it doesn't have a lot of utility. Yeah, I mean, even with the president using it on a pretty constant basis, the company itself hasn't um, seen much more value in the overall product because this is probably our fault, but news organizations are embedding those tweets into the story. So it's literally becoming part of the narrative and right. people don't even have to go to the site. So people can get what Twitter has to offer without actually going there at this point. Right. And I, I, there's a guy who's probably got a pretty cl high clout score, I would guess, and actually would reflect <laughs> a real-world sense of influence. Um, are there other Black Mirror episodes that you think might talk a little bit about how technology has got us on edge? Well, when you talk about what scares us about technology, the thing I like about Black Mirror is it tends to focus also on how people can treat each other through technology. So it still, to me, is about like, kind of like the evil of man that manifests through technology as opposed to being afraid of the technology itself. Like there's an episode in season one where through technology, a man is able to conclude that his wife has been cheating on him. And there is no way he would have ever found that out if he didn't have this. Um, it was a technology that allowed you to replay things that happened to you um, in right. real time. Um, so I think that's what's fun about Black Mirror is you almost think of it almost explores how people can mess with each other um, through technology and the, the machines and the products aren't necessarily the, the bad guys. Right. And it, it, I guess there's, there's probably a built in bias in art to focus on the danger and the negative. If, if, if it were white mirror yeah. <laughs> and, and all the, the, the episodes were about the ways in which technology would make our life grand. Well, it'd it would be, be Star pretty... Trek, right? <laughs> like we wouldn't have any food issues and it'd be awesome. <laughs> well, maybe you shot down my point. I would say there's, there's nothing to explore there, but uh, the Star Trek franchise would suggest otherwise. I, I looked up Charlie Brooker, who's the producer of Black Mirror, says, if technology is a drug and it does feel like a drug, then what precisely are the side effects? And that's clearly the theme that you do see going through Black Mirror and some of these other things. Um, there's a movie coming out based on a book, The Circle, by Dave Eggers. I don't know if the movie's out yet or not. I, I haven't, don't think it is. I've I seen the I read the, the book a couple of years ago. I've seen the trailer. Okay. It's Tom Hanks and Hermione. What's her Emma, name? Emma Watson. <laughs> Thank you. I see her in Beauty and the Beast as well. 
Right. And um, the idea, it, and, and so the circle is sort of some conglomeration of Facebook and Google. Some it's, it's like Apple and Google if they were the same company and there were no other companies. Right. And very much, <laughs> very much built around the social network mm -hmm. and the sharing. And the idea is you wear these dongles, uh, almost like a Fitbit dongle. It's a camera and a microphone, and it shows everything that's going on in your life, and you can go transparent. And some politicians do it as a way to win people over. And and uh, Emma Watson's character, whose name I don't remember her character's name, she um, <clears throat> it gets into a lot of the, the, the things about working for a tech company because it's it talks a lot about the benefits. They give them housing and have she gets her parents on a health plan, and I forget, one of the parents has a, a serious illness, it might be multiple sclerosis, and um, so she becomes especially beholden to the company, mm -hmm. and, um, but she goes fully transparent, and she becomes sort of a star, because everything in her life is is on view, and then it it devolves into melodrama, and I, I'd be curious to see if uh, Tom Hanks takes the books and fixes it in the movie a little bit. I um, I think that the release of this movie, it should be coming out soon, I think, is kind of, kind of curious, considering the fact that, I mean, our federal government has just passed legislation that's giving Internet service providers a lot of power to see what we're doing to potentially sell that information and... Um, Everything about you is probably online somewhere. Um, Absolutely. And that kind of power in the hands of a company, I think, plays itself into what this movie is all about. So, Right. And, it. and it's an interesting debate that, that, that your internet service provider would have this information. And, you know, we have a reversal from the Obama years to the Trump years there. Um, but it's – in some ways it's more a um, – a gradual move than a, a dramatic one because you know Google and Facebook have had this stuff before, and now the the, the guys who hook up your internet, whether it's Spectrum or or Comcast or whomever, now will have the ability to to deal with that information and track. They, they would have a broader picture even than than Google would. Um, so it, it it will be interesting to see the reaction to that movie in, in the context of that. You know, it also, like I said, it gets into the, the culture of working at a, at a dot-com. There's a book uh, several years ago <clears throat> in the 90s called Microsurfs, <clears throat> which, which um, was based at people working at Microsoft, and this is when Microsoft was what Google is today, the big 500-pound <laughs> gorilla in the world. And it, it, you know, it talks a little bit about you know, free lattes, free lunches, we'll... we'll, we'll pick up your dry cleaning, but also is the sort of dehumanizing part of that work that these things, are, companies grow so fast and have so many people and so many bright people that folks who were standouts at their, you know, first in their class at Stanford or Harvard are just another um, Googler. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting, to, he, he followed up with a book called um, J-Pod that looked at sort of the same thing in the gaming industry and, and how difficult that work can be. Um, so anyway, I <laughs> got off on a tangent there. Um, there was another book called Turn of the Century by Kurt Anderson. It came out at the turn of the century. And it looked at the sort of the blending of journalism and entertainment 
and was very prophetic in looking at how. Oh man! Right. So we've got <laughs> we've got uh, a reality star as our president now, um, and so that sort of played out. Do you see other works that have proven to be prophetic? Leah, before we started this, you talked about Minority Report. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. Okay, it's been a few years since I've seen that movie. But I, I've never seen that movie, but when I report on, when I talk really? to, to computer geeks <laughs> working on stories about data mining primarily in the ways that Lee and I go to the same website and we see different ads, I get, that's the theme in the, uh, one of the themes of Minority Report is we know everything about you and therefore can project things. Yeah, there are a few things in that movie. I mean, it, it goes as simple as they have retina scanners to very, very targeted advertising. So not just on the website, but like while you're walking through a subway and you know how you have the normal static ads on the walls? Well, instead they're targeted advertisements that can literally call out your name as you're walking by. Um, but the the main idea in that movie is actually this this idea of a future crime, like they know so much about you um, through, through mining that data that they can predict if you're going to commit a crime or not and potentially arrest you before you actually do it. Right, and this is where it, 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 it would stray into what I would call comic book garbage, and which <laughs> Leah will, will take offense at. That term doesn't make any sense to me. <laughs> <laughs> it, it may be redundant. You, you may suggest it's oxymoronic. I don't know. Um, but that, and I, you know, what people I think don't recognize about, so what's, what's the problem if if I see ads that are targeted to me? I mean, in some ways that's great. I'm looking for a pair of shoes and my web browser shows me a pair of shoes. That's great. Problem with that is the, the, dynamic, <clears throat> the dynamic pricing that might come in. So if um, my web search history shows enough about me, says that I'm in the market for a new pair of shoes because I, it, my, my uh, Fitbit tells it how much I've been working out mm. and I, it should be wearing out now. Well, if I'm selling shoes, yeah, I'm maybe I know that Scott Cannon is in the market. I also might know that I might be able to charge him more now because he's desperate for a pair of shoes. Um, we don't know that that's happening yet, but we do know that the technology is practical. Oh, yeah, the technology is pretty much in place where something like that could happen if it's not already happening. Um, and luckily, I think that advertisers are still pulling people in with sales in those ads um, but it's not a very far stretch to think that they could potentially charge more because they know that well they need them now they need these shoes like this week so we're going to charge a premium for that right thing. well there's the classic case I think it might have been a New York Times story a year or so ago where a guy found out his daughter was pregnant because Target was tracking her behavior yep and started saying, hey, it's time to buy those diapers. And he didn't know. But they, and, and it, it, it might have been that she wouldn't necessarily have known yet, but that they, that's the sort of level of sophistication that's already at play now. Yeah. That would be awful to hear from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> from Target. Oh, oh, by the way, your daughter's pregnant. Oh, by the way, you're pregnant. What? <laughs> right. And so the overlap on that is Target's been hacked in a serious way. Yeah. For credit well, card I thought numbers. maybe that was happening, and I don't know. This might be fake news, so forgive me. But I had heard. <laughs> Great. I'm just you know, I'm disclaiming it now, so hear me out. <laughs> but I had heard that if you are 
searching for airline prices and you you want to fly to LA or whatever and you are it's an always a good idea to clear your cookies because the what the airline websites can track that you're repeatedly looking for something and you might not get the best price because they know you really want to go so actually as a habit I always clear my cookies and try to like clear my browsing history before I book flights to see if and I don't have any scientific proof that it has led to well, cheaper that's flights. Certainly but practical. You'll have to do some A P testing, see if it's I think so. true or not. Maybe the star will give me a budget. It sounds like that. something that wouldn't be that far fetched. I wouldn't think that that's a reality because I mean so when I buy uh, tickets, my order of operations is usually going to Google Flights first and um, comparing a couple airlines. And I'm a frequent flyer for Southwest, so then I go there and I see, like, okay, is there somebody that has a better deal than the place that I would automatically go anyway? And there's still, like, a magic number, at least for booking flights. I think, what is it, like 52 days or something like that? There's a magic number for when you should book your flight to get the lowest amount. But I think most of the time... um, Meaning too far out, we'll get you a little higher price, and too close, we'll get you a higher price. Yeah, exactly. I'm not the person who wrote the story, but I found a story about this in the past, and it's proved to be true on multiple occasions. Um, But there is like a magic window of time that you should book a flight normally. Um, But airlines a lot of times do sales too. So like um, earlier this week, Kelsey Ryan saw, she's our data reporter, she saw that there were extreme discounts on American Airlines for trips to Paris. And this was like a window of maybe half a day or once they sold out where you could go round trip for $430. The next day those flights were gone. But I don't think that there were... Were they last-minute purchases, though? I'm not sure exactly what the stipulations were, but it was a... It was a sale that was happening across the country, so not just for people flying out of MCI. Um, But if you were to fly out of Kansas City and go to Paris, it would have been about $430, which is pretty crazy. Um, So here's another movie, Her. Mm. Does that resonate? So help me out with the actor's name. Scarlett Johansson. Is the robot. Is, she's Siri, basically. Yeah, she's Siri. <laughs> Joaquin Phoenix is a sad, Joaquin Phoenix. lonely guy who... And he falls in love with her. Falls him. in love with his computer. Mm-hmm. Does that tell us anything? I mean, I would fall in love with Scarlett Johansson through her voice, I through think. Through her voice? I don't think that part wasn't far-fetched for me. I would want my I, Siri to sound like... I was shooting for a little like, higher level, Katie. I know, is I'm there, sorry. Are, are we developing an, uh, an unhealthy relationship with our... Actually, I watched her, and again, it's about a guy who falls in love with his computer, and, um, you know, the computer talks back with him. They somehow manage to have sex, basically, through, like, phone sex, essentially. He, like, takes, literally takes his little computer on dates with him, and it kind of just reminded me of being in a long-distance relationship. I could totally see. I mean, how many people have been separated from someone they love and they use, whether it's your romantic partner or not, and they use technology, um, you know, to keep their relationship going. Um, It almost seemed like very possible that you could kind of just kind of let your brain switch to not realizing that you're never going to come back together at some point. Yeah, well, you so you hit on something that, a bright side of technology that maybe sort of shows up here, the long-term relationship. you know, when I was in college, so we're 
to play in that card. Like, it was a. I, I lived in Southern <laughs> Illinois, or I, I went to school in Southern Illinois. It was a big deal to call long distance yeah. to Northern Illinois. So you didn't, and maybe you wrote letters, but you know, not so much. Today, you know, you can have you know transcontinental relationships that are that involve hours of conversation every day over Skype. It's different. Yeah, I've I've been dating the same person for more than five years now, and for a solid two and a half, three years in our relationship, we were long distance. And, you know, it was easy to call. It was easy to Skype. It was easy to text. We also had, um, like, Google Hangouts. So if we and you wanted can watch, to... you can watch a movie together. We could. We didn't, but we could if we wanted to. Um, <laughs> well, and it wouldn't be that weird either. I mean... Not anymore. Yeah. I think it. I think there was a time where you might have made fun of someone. It's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, like calling someone on a landline and falling asleep to the sound of their voice on the other end. And now I don't think that's something that people would really blink if people were doing things like watching a movie. Right. Through and Skype. a generation ago, to answer a personal ad or use a dating service was seen as the that's where the losers go. Sure. Today it's highly common, like. Cool people use Tinder, right? <laughs> or, or 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 tamer dating sites. It's sure. it's it's real common, and and there are also relationships that that build up spontaneously with uh, people playing. Uh, give me a game. I mean, uh, not Halo, but uh, any um, any online game. <laughs> right, right. So that that sort of thing, you know. Again, that's it's a little harder to play that out in a book or a movie and create some tension there unless mm-hmm. there's some catfish angle at the end where, <laughs> you know. Well, going back to Black Mirror, one of my favorite episodes from the latest season is uh, this episode called San Junipero, and it's about two women um, who are taking advantage of this technology that allows them, you can upload your existence into this virtual world and both women had lived very different lives in different places, but were now aging and um, coming to the end of their life. Um, and they fall in love, and they have this relationship in this virtual world. Um, and they're they're still alive, but they, they kind of go on vacation in this virtual world, for lack of a better way to explain it. Um, yeah, this has some time travel involved, though, right? Aren't they coming from different... Not... Well... We're getting a little too into the rabbit right, hole yeah. of the plot. <laughs> Essentially, what you need to know is that they're able to upload themselves into this virtual space, and that's where they see each other, that's where they meet, that's where they fall in love. Um, and it's this space and this opportunity to fall in love that they would never have had in their real lives. And so at the end of the episode, there's actually a happy ending to a Black Mirror episode. Yeah. They decide to live in this virtual space together forever, and it's an opportunity they wouldn't have had without technology. Yeah. Good news is you... So it doesn't always have to be, you know, yeah. doom and gloom. The good news is you've got a date. The bad news is it's in second life. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> and it's forever. It's a nonstop date. So <laughs> date never ends. Right. <laughs> You're in virtual paradise. Um, I don't see much discussion of these sort of issues in music. Do you? Are you hip to anything? I mean, you can call me on my cell phone. So that's a song, right? Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> I'm the wrong person to ask. <laughs> I am probably too, but I, there is a little bit of um, talk of technology in music. But I think it's in terms of like. How people not, are reaching out. It's not in a critical social way, the way. No, you know, no I think I it's more think so. a parody of how we have infused technology into all aspects yeah. of our lives, including 
romantic pursuits. Exactly. But I don't know if it's overly critical. I'm not sure I can think of an of a song that is overly critical of yeah of technology. But if any viewers can, I'm sure they're out there. Yeah, it feels like the narrative arts have sort of dominated this discussion. I did a story recently. I found a couple of instances of other artists. There's a guy who creates software sort of as art, sort of as a protest. Um, it's One is called Scare Mail. So he automatically, you, you download this software and it automatically throws in words like bomb and jihad and a bunch of other things, nonsense into your emails. The idea being if everybody has scary emails, then the feds won't have the time to look at all of our email. It's, it's, there's some flaws to that. Wow. But as an artistic <laughs> statement, and then his same, the same guy has developed something that um, randomly clicks on, if you're on Facebook and you're going to click the like button, it randomly chooses whether it's a frown or a smiley face or a heart, mm-hmm. the idea being that you're, by, you ruin the, the noise-to-signal issue. I found another artist who created an um, anti-drone burqa, mm-hmm. like a, a tinfoil thermal imaging blocking hood that you would wear, the idea being that it's harder to track you, and, uh, and a scarf that's intended to um, mess with facial recognition software. But I find those instances few and far between. You, are we agreed this is the world of books and movies and TV that's yeah. tackling this? Yeah, and I think even if somebody were creating something like that right now, there's very little necessity for it um, because, yes, we have drones, yes, we have thermal Im- imaging, we have all of these things, but they're not really being employed in the ways that these people are creating safeguards for us are thinking like we're, we haven't gotten that far with these technologies right um i want to get wrap it up here but leah insists that terminator has a place in this discussion and so yeah. let's let's talk about some comic book crap and see what her argument is i think it's really hard to talk about technology being something that people are afraid of or thinking about in the future without talking about terminator just because we now have devices that are literally connected to other devices. We have connected homes. We have smart gadgets. That's basically Skynet. But it's a happy Skynet because it does things like it makes our um, uh, Nest thermostat uh, help, adjust help to the temperature Folks who aren't obsessive about Schwarzenegger movies. So all I remember is like, the robots take over the future and somebody comes back to stop the robot takeover. Well, so... Um, Think of it this way. In your home, you have an Alexa or you have a Google Home or something along those lines. That one device can be connected to your thermostat, can be connected to your fridge, can be connected to your phone and everything else. So it's it's networked all of your devices. Okay. In Terminator, Skynet is basically the Google Home or the Alexa, but it is connected to every single robot that... Um, let's say the army has employed. So are those are those DARPA robots that are now connected to a Google Home? If the Google Home goes rogue and the and the robots turn against you, that would be pretty scary. That's basically Terminator. Yeah. But in I, our case I think your own laughter just sunk your argument. <laughs> well this is a little bit hard so to talk what about. If, what if Siri like went rogue and made plans to kill us all? Exactly. That would be the equivalent, right? Yes. That would Basically, be the equivalent. Yeah, but Siri is just voice recognition software. 
don't know, the thing that controls the theory. Okay. Did you ever see Smart House? Do you remember that yeah, movie? Yeah, yeah. It was a Disney Channel movie. I don't know if, if you caught that any time no. in the last two decades. That was a good movie. It was about a smart house. I mean, very much what we describe where you're, you know, all the technology in your house is, is um, you know, connected. And I can't remember why. I think the house got its feelings hurt, so it just locked down. Yeah, it was like a... It was a family with no mother, is that right? So mm-hmm. the, the smart home basically fulfilled the mother role, and when they started, she started to feel the people getting creating distance between um, her and them, she got a little overly protective. Okay. Let's put it that way. And locked them in the house. This is actually, so, but you were asking me, about things that were prophetic. The, yeah. That's like that was like early '90s or late '90s. Mm-hmm. I can't remember how old we are, but yeah. you know, it was that doesn't seem so crazy anymore. Yeah, I mean, we have these devices, and they're doing things for us. They're helping us out. Um, the Nest thermostats turning the temperature up or down depending on if we're home or not. The which microwave. Is, which let's stop and think about that. I mean, you know. It, you can turn the thing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you, you know, you could, you can That's a turn lot the of effort. Yeah, okay. <laughs> All right. And this, this smart house, happy ending, I presume it's Disney. Yeah. yeah. What happens at the I end? mean, it was like, it was fine. It wasn't a sad ending. I think they had to talk to the house and like make sure her feelings weren't hurt and get her. They had to forgive each other. But it was still up to the technology, I think, to yeah. end the standoff that was okay. happening. So I think we've talked, and I don't think we've leaving with any hurt feelings, so we'll cue up the fade-out music and say thanks for being on that deep background today. Thanks for having me.